Part two of my interview with Bluebird. If you heard last week's episode, you know that part of the interview got destroyed, but he called back and we were able to make it happen. A few announcements before we begin. This Wednesday, June 8th, leg two of the Wraparound Robin Tour begins. This is going to be with Miss Paintbrush and Mr. of Pasolacqua. We're playing Youngstown, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Saginaw, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Buffalo, New York, Kingston, Ontario, Pelham, New Hampshire, Portland, Maine, Philadelphia, and oh, also Dover, New Hampshire. So check out wraparoundrobin.com for these dates. And, of course, Bluebird is playing in Baltimore during that tour on June 16th at Metro Gallery. The artwork this week, as always, is by my man Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And once again, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. I got this... this big opening up for the shapeshifters at the knitting factory in Los Angeles. Like, and that was super fucking exciting because that was a big venue, like a 2000 cap room. You know, we knew it was going to be full. All these LA legends were playing. And, uh, I, I don't know, man, I was still in like this provocative mindset. You know, it's probably a little bit of uh, grunge and Jackson, rubbing off on me, you know, as it rubbed yeah. off on all of us. But like I was in the mindset where like, I'm not about to step in front of this fucking crowd and pander to them. Right. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to do me. And, uh, <laughs> I, I walked out on the stage with like a pink Tishiki and a pink <laughs> do rag. And I did like a journey cover over a hot boys beat. Yeah. But I believe like I began by like, tucking my entire body, head, legs, and arms into the shirt and birthing myself out with like a huge <laughs> fuck knife that I had in my pocket. You know, just some classic shit. And yeah. they, just, they just were not having it. Like the only cat that was feeling it was No Can Do, who was like super young back then. And he was standing in the front row just like laughing his ass off. Oh, yeah. And eventually, eventually, I, I mean, I finished my set, but to like uh, a roar of boos and crackers and wettos, they fucking were not having it. And you said Percy P. came yeah, so, to your defense so what as well, is, right? Uh, Andy had to go on after me, and he was just standing on the side of the stage kind of looking at me. And I just kind of high-fived him like, yo, good luck, man. You know, he was up next. And uh, to his credit, man, he was able to turn it around because what he started doing is he, we had run into Percy on our way into the venue because he was standing out there slanging CDs. Yeah. This is like right before he started messing with Stone's throat and like, you know, had a little bit of his like resurgence. Right, right. And so we were just walking by, and, you know, always someone's trying to sell you CDs, usually like, no, I'm cool. And then we stopped, like, two steps past him and turned around, like, wait a minute, man. Are you, you fucking Percy P? Yeah. And so we had talked to him before the show, and so when Andy's set came up and he invited him up to freestyle, you know, the crowd got excited, and he was like, he stopped the beat and was like, 
scolded them for being on some bullshit. And he was like, you know, hip hop was always meant to be progressive. So like y'all motherfuckers booing these people and like, you know, not listening because it's different. Like you're on some bullshit. And then just did like an amazing freestyle with Andy and ended up making the night like totally worth it. Oh, that's so fire, man. Yeah, that was really fire. Was that the Grim Image connection show? So what had happened is, remember exactly how much longer, I think it was like another year after that, when I was, I was um, brought back out to play another L.A. show with Shapeshifters. And, you know, I came out there just like ready for battle, ready for war, and just came out rapping hard as fuck. And realized like oh shit like this is my crowd you know because it was all these dudes in the front row that like knew my songs and were going buck wild it caught me off guard because i was ready to do battle up there you know not like right. rap battle but just like battle with the crowd because it was another packed room way smaller this time but more intimate i should say and like a way cooler vibe and uh i forget the name of the club man it was these korean brothers who used to fly me out every once in a while to play this spot called the terrace was in Pomona. No, no, Pasadena. That's where it was, Pasadena. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, those dudes in the front row that were freaking out ended up being the, the cats from Grim Image, and I connected with them that night and realized that those were, like, some super fans of mine who knew every obscure release, every lyric ever. And uh, I didn't think I had fans like that in the U.S. You know, I'd come across few overseas, which just always seemed more likely for me. Um, and that's where the relationship started. I hooked up with, with Craig and Verbal. And Craig was a very fortunate San Manuel Indian out in San Bernardino. Lived just off the reservation. And uh, was like a modern-day rap graffiti philanthropist. So I came to find out. You know, I didn't really take them seriously when they were like, you got to come out. You got to come out to the ranch. You know, you got to. And I kept thinking like, Four dudes smoking meth around a barrel kind of ranch, you know? <laughs> um, I didn't know what to expect. Um, so after, like, after developing a relationship a couple years, hanging out with them at various shows, they stepped to me and uh, asked me about this project I had done with this Canadian rapper named Disa Sahib. Uh, it was called Les Swashbuckling Napoleons. We had made one seven-inch when he was visiting playing shows in Florida, I think like 2003 or four era. Yeah, And, you know, had just since dropped the project because it wasn't feasible. And they were like, what's up with this record? And, I'm, you know, I told them, hey, man, he lives in Ontario. I live in Florida, you know, and they're like, what does it take to make it happen? I said a couple of plane tickets in a studio. So they were like, bet and bought us two plane tickets out to San Bernardino and put us up in the studio. And, you know, we uh, impressed them because we said, hey, man, fly us out for seven days. We'll make you a record. And so we got all these beats from Edison, who is uh, from San Francisco super dope producer. One of the early dudes in like the Monome gang game, gang game. And uh, we went out there and just like wrote and recorded this whole record in seven days. And it was, it was, uh, it was a crazy, it was a crazy experience because they put us up in the house. There was a studio available to us 24 hours. You know, the engineer was the homie Sully and they were like, yo, he'll be here for certain amount of hours a day but he lives like 20 minutes away so if you ever you know feel like you need to record at some point just give him a heads up and he'll be here to work so it was really dope yeah and from that album afterwards is when 
Craig stepped to me and was like, Hey man, like let, let's do something bigger. Like you have any ideas? So I said, sure, man, I'm, I'm fucking full of ideas. And, uh, I thought it would be a great idea if I had this RV that I could live in and travel around the United States playing guerrilla shows. So I outfitted it with a really dope sound system. It was a small RV. It was a built for two. It was like 20 feet, but it had everything, you know, fridge, freezer, stove, microwave, you know, and then this really awesome sound system. I created the idea for the Freebird, where I would just do this video blog, uh, me filming myself, editing videos and just traveling around to the States and, uh, you know, playing these guerrilla shows. But more importantly to me, I think is the point, what I wanted to do, like show, like I had been living this amazing, you know, tour life, rap life experience for all these years. And you know how it is when you come home and like your homies from your hometown are like, how was it? And like, you can explain it to them, but you always just kind of feel like a dick. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're like working their nine to five and you're like, Oh, you know, I met these amazing group of people and they had this like skate ramp on top of this roof with a champagne fountain, you know, and like, <laughs> you just always kind of seem like you're bragging, um, like you're on some bullshit. So it was really nice for me to like, Instead of being, look at me, look at what I do, look at what I make, do this project where, you know, it was about me running around doing my thing. But at the same time, I got to showcase and show all these people the cool things and the interesting people that I was meeting. So, you know, I focused the blog on all the people, things and places that I would come across. And that's what I made the videos about. How many times did you go around the country and do the thing? I did about, I think if you add it all up, it was probably like three complete circles, Yeah, you know, but, wow. I, but I, I did not have a solid booking agent, you know, so I was just like piecing shit together, you know, and like one of the trips, I just drove straight from Florida to Minneapolis to make Soundset, the festival, and then just kind of zigzagged my way down and back, you know, it, it never was like these complete planned out things. I think I made like three, if you add it all up, I probably made like three complete circles, but a lot of it was very like disjointed. Um, you know, I would get like three or four cool opportunities and then I would just turn that into like a month and a half long run, you know, because that was the cool thing. Like I didn't have to be anywhere. I didn't have to answer to any schedule other than the one I booked for myself. Right. If I had a show, other than like, you know, the traditional tours where we're running around and you maybe see the venue the, where you're eating dinner or sleeping and like the, the coffee shop in the morning. You know, maybe you have time to check out the record shop or, or something like that. But like, you know, for the most part, you're just running. So, right. Right. you know, what, what I wanted to do was like spend more time everywhere I went and like check out the local spots, talk to people and whether it be like, you know, talk to the kids and then be like, oh, this guy, this guy is really interesting. We can maybe reach out to him and get an interview. Or I know this cool swimming hole, you know, we can go to. And, and so that was the beauty of it was like really digging into all these places and like trying to, to showcase that. You know, my hopes, what, what I projected was that I wanted it to turn into something bigger. I wanted it to catch, you know, I wanted it to, to become sort of like a travel blog. You know, I wanted to be almost like a, or a journalist, you know, like a rap journalist. I was, I was hoping, you know, Vice would take notice or some, somebody along those lines. Right. Um, but right. it just never, it never really panned out. And I was pretty reckless with it. You know, looking back, 
I could have definitely managed my affairs better, but I was just so fucking excited. You know, I just created this idea out of nothing. And he's like, amazingly generous dudes just gave me the green light. So I just did it, you know, the best way I knew how to. What, what was it that you would have wanted to do to manage the affairs better? I mean, I just would have, uh, I would have, I would have paid a little bit more attention to promotion. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and back then, I mean, it, even like social media wasn't what it was today. You know, there was no Instagram. There was no Facebook live, you know, like I wasn't, we weren't pushing as hard on our socials. Whereas, you know, like everything I was doing, I was doing on these flip cams and having to edit it. And so as it was happening, it was taking, you know, sometimes a month for that to, to get out, to get released. And like the people who were in it were like, you know, their lives had already moved on from them. So I feel like in this day and age, had I done it, it would have been a whole different experience because it would have, it would have been more current. You know, the content would have been constantly current, you know, it's a battle, it's a battle just like as, as an artist these days, you know, it's really a daily struggle to make sure that you keep up with your content as shitty as that sounds. And like those, those thoughts pass through all of our heads and it's, you know, I wish it didn't have to be that way, but you know, you can't fight that change. And so, you know, there's times when you're on tour and your life is like, it's cracking, you know, you're in a different place. You're around interesting people. You have cool shit to show. Um, but then, you know, you go back to your day to day life and you're like struggling to reach back, you know, for some, for some throwbacks or, so like for me, like my life, I was on the road in a different place every day. You know, it was, is everything was interesting, but there was definitely like a huge delay, you know, in how I would get the content out there. You had mentioned before, like feeling like, okay, I've done these like 80 some videos, but I could have maybe done like 80 bluebird videos. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the biggest critique coming in from people was like, they wanted to see more of me. Right, right. And I was like, yeah, but I'm behind the camera. You know, I'm already doing everything else. And I'm also like excited for it not to be about me. And, you know, looking back, yeah, if I would have spent all that time and that effort making 80 Bluebird videos, I could have been the base god, you know, (laughs) 365 MySpace pages. (laughs) Right. Like, had I been placed in the in that exact situation where I had the opportunity to do something right now, I would think up a number and, and I would tell them I want to make 10 music videos and promote them in this manner. And that money would be better spent doing that, you know, hmm. like getting this feature, getting on, you know, whatever website or and, you know, I, but I can't ever change that life experience. You know, I got oh, the yeah. fucking... I got to live the American dream in in a decked out RV, you know, trekking oh, yeah. through the desert and the mountains. And and you know, as much as I look back and say, "Oh, I would have done it different." There's still some amazing footage I have on hard drives that is unedited and I would like to like the dream would be to sit down with a real filmmaker, take all the raw footage, you know, from even the videos that came out and all the shit that never came out and make like a really interesting 45-minute documentary. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've got footage hanging out with Kimya Dawson backstage, her playing me like these, the very beginnings of like her first rap songs on her laptop. She was all excited to just talk to a rapper. Um, You know, backstage hot tub with Tegan and Sarah and the band drinking champagne. (laughs) (laughs) 
but also, you know, trekking through, you know, hiking through Sedona and the mountains, like, you know, uh, me and Philco and Babblefish trying to drive up the Pacific Coast Highway at like four in the morning with a soup-like fog so thick I had to go like five miles an hour, just white-knuckling it, looking over, you know, down at the water hundreds of feet down, scared, oh, scared yeah. shitless. And it was, there was some amazing experiences. If I remember correctly, then it kind of like that sort of led into working on this Cannonball album. Yeah, yeah. You know, Fake Four was popping at that time. And, uh, you know, they had they had promo budgets, they had video budgets. And so what they offered to me initially was something that I had had not yet to that point been offered. You know, all of my albums had had come out on Canadian or, or Japanese or European labels. I had never had a proper U.S. release, let alone a properly, you know, pushed and promoted U.S. release. Yeah. So. When Chesky offered that and said, hey, man, I want to do that for you, you know, I put together the best possible scenario that I could, which is, you know, uh, Andy was a dope producer, you know, and, and he had access to such amazing producers. And some people just don't like to produce for themselves, which I guess was the case for him. So, you know, him and I talked about it and he said, shit, I want to do for you what Radical Face did for me, which is... Radical Face in, in Andy's early days took him from like a, uh, you know, just like kind of a backpack rapper, like a dude who could rap his ass off and and sculpted him more into a songwriter. And right. so Andy said, hey, man, like, no offense, but, th- you know, I like I like your stuff, but I'm going to tell you all the things I don't like about it. And I'm going to tell you where I would like you to go. And we had some pretty intense conversations, which led to you know, these recording sessions that, that really changed the way I make music. So, you know, every time before this, I would like get beats from producers, you know, I would write to those beats and record to those beats. And maybe there would be some like post-production editing, but you know, with Cannonball, he gave me like six or seven beats and said, don't write anything too concrete, you know, just like get some ideas you know, maybe some structures that you want to talk about. Tell me which parts of the beats you like that you want to rap on. And then we'll sit in the studio and we'll, we'll, we'll craft these songs. And so that was amazing because I would go in there and have something half written. And he would say, ah, why don't you try that on this beat? I'm like, no, 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 no. I wrote to this beat, motherfucker. This is the one I want. He was like, just try it, you know. And so he took me completely out of my box, out of my comfort zone, you know, made me sing, you know, over and over again until I got it right. Um you know, taught me about melody and just song structure. And um, it was great. You know, it was completely different for me. And about halfway through the recording, he ended up getting caught up being too busy trying to finish his own record, which is, this is our science, which was a big deal for him. So I had to finish making the record with Radical Face in Florida, which was amazing, you know, because he, in his own right, was a uh, like a visionary musician. Um, you know, the guy's multi-talented. He can play anything and everything. So he took the songs that we had already recorded, plus a few of his own beats, and just played guitar and strings and piano all over them. And, uh, you know, taught me about creating, like, uh, tension and drama in songs, like the roller coaster. You know, he was like, look at your songs. This is just like, ah, the whole way through. You know, you're just like up at level 10. And he taught me, you know, how to how to bring it down and then bring it back up to, you know, kind of like the push and pull. Like, you got to play with people's emotions to draw them in. You can't just, you know, come out the gate. 
yelling at him. Did you feel like ready to be like, yeah, I'm wrong about my instincts in some ways and these guys know better? Or was it like a struggle to to change? I felt absolutely ready. Like I was exactly yeah. in the right place. Because, you know, uh, Runge and Jackson tried to tell me years ago and I didn't want to hear it, you know. Oh, <laughs> they, you know, and, and many people along along my formative years told me like, hey, man, it's great. We like what you do, but, you know, you should think about structuring it differently, you know, because I just wanted to rap. I just I felt back in the day when I started, I had all these things that I felt like I needed to say. And then I didn't want to slow down. If you didn't get it, I didn't care. You know, if you didn't understand it, I didn't care. It was very fuck you. This is my just like mental blah. I just need to get this out. Right. And, you know, and people saw there was people who very much appreciated it, but it was a very niche, you know, it was very, very, it appealed to a very, very specific crowd. And so, you know, seeing what Grand Buffet did and how like they, they had all these radical ideas and these, these thoughts and these politics, but like they packaged them in this like very neat, you know, pop structured format. It was like, you know, that was mind blowing. That was fucking amazing. And, and, you know, I didn't want to be like them. I didn't want to be like astronautics. You know, when, when Andy was giving me all this, 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 uh, advice, I told him, Hey man, like first and foremost, I don't want this record to sound like bluebird trying to make an astronautics record, you know? Yeah. And he said, he said right away, like, that's not going to be the case because you know, you are, you're very strongly set in what you do, but let's just try to mold it into something different. You had mentioned that the release was a little disappointing or something. Yeah, well, you know, it was nobody's fault. You know, I can't, I can't right. place the most of the blame would, would fall on me. But um, when they originally offered me the deal, you know, it was supposed to be major, majorly pushed, major promo. And what had happened is the fiasco with Chesky going to prison just kind of fucked everything up. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't get the shortest end of the stick because there was a lot of people who were in line for their albums to come out who just straight got dropped. Uh, so when it happened, Chesky came to me and he said, look, man, you know, this is what's going on. We don't have the money that we were supposed to have because I have to try to keep myself out of jail. And, you know, it sucks because he ended up going to jail anyway. Right. But, you know, so a lot of the things, a lot of the plans that we had for my record, we just could not execute. Because, um, you right. know, it should have been like, like Astronautilus was definitely on the rise. Radical Face was, was already doing pretty well. You know, he had songs. His song was the one that was playing on like the Nikon commercial for the Olympics all around the world at that time. Oh, wow. And so it was pretty big. So if it was treated like a holy shit, you know, uh, first time Astronautilus produces a record, you know, in conjunction with his mentor, Radical Face, like it could have been this very big thing. And it was very well received by my fan base. But, you know, what, had I, what I had hoped for was to reach outside of my fan base to a bigger one. And I think to a point, it did not really do that. So it was disappointing to me. And, and you said you sort of, at that point, saw a little bit of, what you didn't yet have together as far as like your own like marketing or something. Yeah. Yeah. I was always horrible at selling myself, you know, and I, and I was very naive to the process and, you know, and, and I, I think it just came from the, like 
the attitude of, of the scene that I came up in, the like kind of like the un, I'm underground, fuck you, I don't need that shit kind of kind of attitude, which was really just dumb. You know, it seemed mm. cool back then, but but, you know, there's no fighting it like you have to if you want to be successful in what you do, then you have to market it. You know, you have to you have to present it in a certain way that that people can latch on to it. And so I was very late in the game to, to those ideas, um, but was kind of getting hip to it when Cannonball came out. But I really, you know, I did not have a, a, a solid game plan of exactly what I wanted to happen. I just thought, like, you know, I want to get the coverage on the blogs. I want to get the music videos out, but I didn't have, like, specific ideas and goals in mind. You know, I didn't lay it all out before I did it. I just kind of, like everything else in my life, I just went at it head first. But it, I feel like that must work sometimes, right? For some people, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, it works. Works for Kanye. You know, he just yeah, says it. <laughs> um, it does. It does. And, and you know, it's worked for me to an extent throughout my life. You know, it got yeah. me to crazy parts of the world. So I'm not mad at that. You know, right? Um, but it's just you know very specific decisions. Like I worked really hard with my man Digital Cypher on this Kickstarter to raise money for the Pimp Hand video. Uh-huh. And, you know, we raised like, we raised a couple, I think like, you know, 33,000 or 3,500 to shoot this video. And, you know, we, we all, all of that money pretty much went into shooting it on film, which mm. like, this is 2011. You could use a free filter that would make it look like film. And there would maybe be like three, like 35 millimeter buffs in the world that would be like, that's, that's not real film, you know, but right, every, right. everybody else wouldn't give a shit. So we shot it thinking it would be like this special thing. And the video was great, but like we could have shot it for $2,500 cheaper and put $2,500 into the promo and, and it would have gotten us a lot farther. Break down this new record, like that Lauderdale record. Yeah. Um, so I really had no plans to, no set plans to make a Bluebird record. I was kind of, the, the Freebird project kind of crashed and burned, and I wound up back living back in South Florida, and I didn't really have a place to live. I just had a bunk above my homie's laundry room. And, uh, you know, thankfully he had some work for me. I was working in a screen printing shop, just catching shirts at the end of a, a dryer, you know, in, in this, this Florida heat, just thinking yeah. about all the things I could be doing, or like just thinking like, holy shit, like, one year or six months ago, I was living the dream. And now like, what the fuck am I doing? So I was kind of down and out and uh, started bartending in South Florida, ended up like signing a lease and getting a place and uh, started making music with some homies, uh, Proto Man and Jabberjaw. We started making this, this Miami bass project because all three of us were kind of turned off to the business of music. You know, we weren't having much fun anymore. And you know, instead of getting bitter about it, we said, well, let's just do something fun. And so Jabberjaw connected with these Miami bass producers in Palm Beach, uh, Cut It Up Def Records, these guys, Jock D, that were, they were making music like in the 90s that I grew up listening to. Yeah. Miami bass, freestyle. And they were, they had these beats and were looking for some rappers and, you know, that shit is, is what I grew up on. So we said, hey, let, let's try to do this thing. So we came up with this idea uh, death jam and uh we started making some songs and at that around that time i was bartending and the local paper had uh i had been awarded the best young guy in fort lauderdale this funny <laughs> silly ass award 
I was 35, I think. And uh, so I adopted the moniker Young Lauderdale and just came at this, this uh, Def Jam project with a whole new approach, thinking like, man, I might hate this writing. You know, like, I don't think I'll be able to, like, live with myself. But the more we did it, it was so much fun to do. And I realized, like, that, that this music was, was way closer than anything else I'd ever done. And uh, that, that project def- uh, eventually fizzled out, but I continued to work with Jabberjaw. He produced under the name Mr. Belvedere. And uh, after we made, we were living together in this warehouse with the studio. And uh, after we made one or two songs together, you know, I was so inspired by the beats that he were making because uh, sonically they were very current, you know, but still had this very different element to them, this musicality to them. I don't even know if that's a word or if I just made that shit up. It is. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. And we did so. And we decided to, to make a full record. And I still didn't know what I was going to do with it. Um. So I was sending Chesky some songs here and there, you know, and he told me, I'm not sure what fake four is able to do right now in general. You know, he had like just got out of prison. Yeah. And he was, you know, and at the same time he was like, I don't know what I'd be able to do with, with a bluebird, like for lack of a better term, trap record is what he kept, what we, he kept referring to it as, but that's not really what it was. I mm. guess just sonically, that's the only relatable term they could use. Um, yeah. For me, like I really, the Death Jam shit was fun. You know, it was very fun to do live. We did shows in Miami. It was fun, you know, rapping about cars and bass and hoes and everything the Poison Clan taught me when I was young. Yeah. But, like, really in my heart, it wasn't, like, it felt right. It felt close to me. But the things I was saying, like, I didn't a thousand percent stand behind. And that's kind of always been an underlying theme in my music is like, you know, I got to be able to stand behind everything that I'm saying. I'm not trying to make up anything or, or pretend like I'm something that I'm not. Right. Right. So I, I wanted to like find, it took me a while, but I wanted to find this like voice that was a happy medium, you know, that still had attitude and the spirit of the young Lauderdale, but that also, you know, still had enough of me, enough of Bluebird in it. And so I set out to do that, and I think that's kind of exactly what I, what I hit with, with this record, with Lauderdale. And after I made it, I felt like all the other music I had made before, all the other albums was just me trying to run away from where I was from and where I grew up and like what was inside of me. you know. And those records were great. I'm not saying bad things about them, but I think that was just me trying to like turn away from where I came from, and Lauderdale was like me coming back full circle and just having like a full realization that like, this is me and this is what I should be making. It just, just felt right. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I definitely like thought long and hard and crafted a plan and a look, you know, from everything from, from the press photos to the logos, to the artwork, you know, and to the album, everything, you know, I wanted it all to fit to the videos, the visuals, everything. Yeah, and it's kind of like just the look of like what's really going on. It's just like the look of you in Florida, you know. <laughs> True. Yeah, and you know, as much as I like hated and tried to run away from Florida, you know, eventually it dawned on me that if if everybody who grows up here and doesn't like the culture just leaves, it's never going to get better. You know, it's up to it's up to a few people to like make the sacrifice and take the step to like to to make it better. You know, and there yeah. is a lot of cool shit happening here. So it's it's great to be able to showcase that and, you know, and work with these people. 
So, you know, my buddy, uh, the 33, my buddy Jasper, huge inspiration to me in my life. And he's the one who did all the artwork, you know, and dropped a hot verse at the end. And uh, Mr. Belvedere produced the whole record and also dropped a hot verse at the end. And, you know, these are dudes that were like working with me to build the scene in South Florida to like prop it back up. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. And the city reacted, you know, like super positive. I've got everywhere I go, people are yelling Broward. That's our county. We have county pride here in Florida. Yeah. And that's great to hear. You know, I walk into a bar and someone just goes Broward. (laughs) (laughs) So it feels good. I didn't realize till we were talking yesterday, like, you you've already done like a bunch of tours in promotion yeah, of the I, album. Yeah, I've been going super hard. I've had about three videos drop, um, two by my man Digital Cipher, who I've worked with previously. One by my good buddy BJ Golnick, who's actually he up until last year he was the uh, producer for Honey Boo Boo. <laughs> right, that was his shitty day job that he fucking hated because all he wanted Mm. to do was make music videos and he finally quit before like the big honey boo boo scandal came in what was the scandal well something happened i've never watched the show Um, i only saw like one or two episodes because he like wanted to show me some shit that he edited um and you know like let's put a disclaimer uh he did say that she was a sweetheart so honey boo boo was a sweetheart he just hated like the politics and the shit surrounding the show and just reality tv in general yeah um, but something happened. There was like some scandal with her uncle and some child molestation. Something went oh, down. Geez. But he had quit a couple months before that. And so he had this, and he ended up getting hired by National Geographic because the dude is amazingly talented. Hmm. So now he, he gets like helicopter dropped into the mountains to like hide for three weeks so he could capture some video of a snow leopard eating a gazelle or something like that. That's- but, um, so we had this interim period, and he just called me, and he said, hey, I got three days. I have the red. Like, let's do something. And so we shot that Keith Herringbone video. We had been trying to work together for, like, two years and just couldn't make it work. And yeah. that was, like, a super clean, like, beautifully shot professional video, which I was really proud of. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, I did a bunch of touring. I did a run with Doomtree. I went to Eastern Europe for three weeks by myself. I did some stuff around Florida with Belvedere. I did some... Christmas, I did New Year's Eve with, with Astronautilus in Jacksonville. I've definitely been jumping a lot of opportunities. And then uh, last month I did South by Southwest and a big festival up in Boise. And I did like a whole three-week run in the Southwest and a little bit of the Midwest. Yeah. And then, yeah, next next week, I'm, um, next week I'm jumping off for the second part of the tour with ESID running up the East Coast. I'm home for like eight days and then I'm going to Europe with Chesky for three weeks. Oh, nice. So it just doesn't stop. So glad we finally made it. Yeah. We made it. Without getting hung up on by this crazy app. Um, Your app is crazy. Your app is crazy, (laughs) man. Thank you so much for doubling up, too, on this interview, man. No problem, man. I appreciate it greatly. And I'm I'm sad you're not going to be there in Baltimore for the show. Yeah, man. We're still... We'll cross paths somewhere along the line. See you next week.